is. So I'm really grateful for Rachel and for the whole worship team for what they do for us every week. So yes. So I would love to invite you to take out your program. In that program, there's this card here. And um, this is our card, an invitation to journey with us in Lent. And so many of you know Lent is the 40 days prior to uh, Easter, and it started to be um, recognized as something in about the 4th century church, in the early church. And um, and what it is, is us preparing our hearts for what God is uh, ultimately going to do on the cross, preparing ourselves to walk through the journey with Jesus of him walking to Calvary and then ultimately um, experiencing new life and resurrection and what that means for us and who we are in this world. And so um, it is not, Lent is not something we do to get more favor with God or to become more saved. Um, it is not a performance thing, but it is an invitation. So often in our world, we are busy. We got a lot of stuff going on. And so it's this period of time that we can really intentionally focus on his presence. And there's a couple of ways that you can do that. One is that we're going to be going through the book of Mark um, through Easter. And so we'll be walking through the gospel of Mark. It's the the, the first gospel that was written. It's, it is uh, powerful. It's to the point. Mark didn't waste a lot of time on a lot of details because he was really excited about what Jesus was doing. And so it's a really jam-packed, awesome gospel. We're going to be journeying through that gospel um, over these next several weeks. And there's a reading plan here. So the invitation is to read along with us, to read the book of Mark with us. And uh, and maybe not only that, for for me, I find writing out the scripture to be incredibly powerful because there's something about slowing down a little bit, focusing more that writing allows you to do. So we've done this before with the book of James, and we're inviting you to write the book of Mark with us. And so each week, there's an invitation to read and to write um, the book of Mark. And then not only that, we're going to be fasting on Fridays. And so again, fasting isn't something that we do to earn more favor with God, but it is something that's been practiced all throughout scriptures. You have Moses who fasted for 40 days and 40 nights, Elijah who fasted for 40 days and 40 nights. You have Jesus himself. One of the very first things in his ministry is he went into the wilderness and he was fasting. And so there's a, there's a space in fasting where we're giving up something that normally would take our attention and we're allowing that space to be then our attention to be shifted to God. And so there's an, there's a flexibility in what you choose to fast from. Um, for me, it's going to be screen time. And so I'm not going to touch my screen on Fridays. That's For me, that's something that's incredibly distracting. It often is what I go to, to, um, you know, when I have a moment instead of focusing my attention on God. And so that's what I'll be doing. But you can fast from fruit, food. You can fast from other things that maybe, um, you know, that would normally be your comfort go-to thing from Netflix, you know, whatever it is that that you normally would kind of go to in those down times that you would want to take away so that you can focus your attention on God. And then we're going to break that fast together um, on Good Friday for our service then. Um, there's more there's more resources at storehousechurch.com slash Lent. And so I would invite you to go there and just learn a little bit more about what Lent is and what we'll be doing together. So I'd love to pray for us as we enter into this Lenten season. Wednesday is Ash Wednesday. And so that's going to be the mark of the beginning of Lent. Um, So please pray with me as we prepare our hearts. God, we are so thankful. We're so thankful um, for, for your story, for who you are, for how you show us who God is, the character and the nature of God, Lord. And I pray, Father, during this 
during this season, God, as we are focusing our attention on you, Lord, that we would be anticipating encounters with your spirit, that we would be ready to hear from you. God, that we would maybe even discover that you are always talking, that you are always present, Lord, and often it's us that's distracted and not listening. So God, I pray for each of us, Lord, that we would be awakened in new ways, Lord, during this Lenten season, God, that we give up some of those comforts as we give up some of those things that we maybe go to for um, just, yeah, spaces of comfort, Lord, and distraction, God, that you would meet us in those spaces, Lord, form us into your image, We want to be people who are true disciples of who you are, Jesus. And so we ask to be formed in your image, Lord. So we offer this time to you, Lord. We offer uh, these practices to you, Lord. And we ask that we would be observant and waiting to hear from your spirit, Lord, as you are already at work. We pray this in the name of Jesus. Amen. So we are doing something a little different today. We're really excited. Um, We are taking your questions from this past series called Messy. Living, uh, loving others isn't easy. And so the idea behind this series was that, hey, you know, this is pretty important to love others well. And so we should probably take some time to focus on that. Um, and right. Yeah. <laughs> we should take some time to focus on that. And so, um, we should look at, you know, look at how, what it means to love well. And this is something we should invest in, something that we should, we should kind of focus our attention on so that we can get better at it. That's right. And we didn't come up with the idea of, hey, let's be better at relationships just out of a hat. I think it's important to recognize that, um, the reason we wanted to dive into this and we will constantly be diving into these types of things is because um, it's how we were created, right? Where we were created for this stuff. We're, we're wired this way to, to live in relationship. Remember when Jesus answered the question about the most important commandment and he said, love God and love people. And sometimes we think, oh, the love your neighbor piece, the love people piece was a, was a completely radical new thought, Right, and it was different in that it wasn't so closely associated with loving God. Right, he kind of broke the mold there, but he was tapping into the ancient wisdom of his heavenly Father. Of, and we see that through all of Scripture. That's part of why we anchored a lot of this teaching around Proverbs. Right, these all of these phrases that speak specifically to how we are to act in relationship with one another. So it wasn't a new concept when Jesus came up with it. Remember some of the Proverbs we talked about these last few weeks. I'll just highlight a couple of them. Um, Fools find no pleasure in understanding, but delight in airing their own opinions. That proverb was written specifically when Facebook was invented. Um, Even fools are thought wise if they keep silent, discerning if they hold their tongues. Hot-tempered person stirs up conflict. Patient calms a quarrel. Tongue of the wise brings healing. There's so many good ones, right? Gentle answer turns away wrath. Harsh words stir up anger. All of these things that are informing us on how to relate to one another well, right? To to acknowledge the fact this is tough. We're going to have our own opinions. We're going to have our own self-interest in mind. But we really need to think about the other person as we move into relationship. We're created to do it. And not only that, that our love that we have for one another is intended to be different than what the world 
shows us. And so it says in John 13, 35, that the world will know that we are his disciples by the way we love each other. And so if we aren't putting effort into loving one another better, then we are not going to be looked at as disciples of Jesus. Like we are called to love one another differently than the world loves one another. And so that's a mandate. So in this series, we've talked about um, different principles of loving one another well. The first week we talked about seeking to understand. So this is the foundation that we are there to understand the other person. We do this with a team mentality. We do this in humility, recognizing that we don't have all the answers, um, that we recognize our own expectations and assumptions and often uh, that go unsaid. And so we talked about unhealthy um, expectations and assumptions. They're often um, unconscious, they're unrealistic, they're unspoken, and they're unagreed upon. So we, we dove into that a little bit about what does it look like to truly go into a relationship, seek to understand and recognize my own expectations and assumptions and then voice them with clarity to the other person. Yeah, it takes a lot of self-awareness mm-hmm. to try and figure out what are these assumptions that I'm having because I think a lot of times we don't, we're not even aware of them. Right. Right? We have them. We have expectations. We, we haven't taken the time to take inventory. And we touched on that a little bit in week two as well when we talked about listening, yeah. right? And, and what's your motivation for entering into a conversation and listening? Do we... Do we are we motivated to kind of articulate our own point of view, mm-hmm. to defend ourselves or to fix a problem that might even feel altruistic in that moment, right? Yeah. Or are we really listening with the motivation of really understanding that other person, making sure that they're heard, empathizing with them? Mm-hmm. That's good. Take self-awareness. Take self-awareness. And then last week we talked about this idea of fighting clean. And so, you know, often what's been modeled for us, what we've seen in this world is not a way to do conflict in a healthy way. So we have to debunk some of the myths. One is that healthy relationships don't include conflict. They certainly do. Relationships include conflict. Also the myth that if I'm going to be a peacemaker as Jesus has called me to be, then I don't do conflict. Well, there's a difference, right, between peacemaking and peacekeeping, and peacemaking is kind of being proactive. And then, you know, look, going into the conflict, but recognizing, again, we're on the same team and doing so in humility. So it's been, it's been a doozy. We've had some great kind of conversational starting points for then you guys to dive into these questions. Yeah, we got, some, we got some great questions back, and I think, you know, one of the things we were just touching on it was kind of a through line through these weeks is this idea of self-awareness, yeah. right? This idea of what are, what are my default settings when it comes to relationship? What am I bringing to the table? And, and you guys ask a lot of good questions around that. Here's one of them to highlight one question that we received. How do you get past ingrained ways of behaving and reacting and interacting from years of living in your own family culture and indoctrination? Um, I like this question because there's at least two parts to it, right? One, one is, where did my default setting come from, right? Let me look around and try to figure out how was I communicated to, how was I related to. But oftentimes, I think we need we can go there after we've already said, well, how do I relate, right? Like, what is my default setting? Um, and where it came from or not, that's interesting, but do I even own my own default settings, right? Yeah. You talked about that a little bit in last week when you were talking about fighting clean. You kind of had these fighting, if we could say fighting dirty tactics yeah, yeah. that you went through. It's it a, a horrible list. It was a great list. It's a horrible list. I mean, it was convicting. It's something that, yeah, every single one of those topics I checked off and said, I certainly have done this to um, varying degrees. And It's yeah. a big list. 
It's a big list. It's right. a, it's so big yeah. that it's scrolling on the screen. Right, you. exactly. There's so many. There's so things. many. Oh, it is. Yes, yeah. it is indeed yeah. scrolling on the screen. Yeah. So maybe for you, you can kind of identify a couple or all of the above that you have participated in at one time or another. And maybe that was modeled for you yeah. in your family, certainly in the world. I mean, it's modeled all over the place. Sure. These are the, these are the things we run to. And I know when you went through the list, I was cringing at some of them yeah. um, more than others of just, oh man, I definitely do that. Like, and, and when you think of specific relationships, you may run to certain ones of these practices, right? So I think of the relationship I have with my children. Um, and when they do something or in the relationship that... Um, is just straight up wrong. Like they're wrong. I come in and my reaction oftentimes is first anger. And that anger for me leads right into kind of lecturing and explaining. Yeah. Right? Of what was wrong, what expectation they missed, why they didn't, why didn't they do what they should have done? Why did they do what they shouldn't have done? Um, I, and whether that was modeled for me or not, I know that's where I gravitate towards. Yeah. That's good. So then the next level of that question is, so you're self-aware enough to know that you do this, and then what? How do you get past it, right? That's another. I think self-awareness in and of itself is enough, right? We're all just figure out who we are, and then that's it. That's all we got to do? No, no, I think we actually have to <laughs> do something about it, right? Yeah. That's, I say that in jest, but I think oftentimes that is what we, where we stop, yeah. right? We, 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 we figure out, oh, this is how I am, and then we just stop there. Yeah. But I know for me... And this it might sound like the Sunday school answer, but the thing that I have to do in those moments is pray. And, and I don't mean the, all right, I'm going to go into my bed and kneel and my, on the floor and, okay, dear Lord. No, no, no. I mean this idea of if the, the living spirit of God it, it dwells in us yeah. and, is in, and is all around us, then we're able to tap into, right, to be reminded of the truths of God at any given moment, right? And so we, we, we think of, I, I want to be more patient in that situation, or I want, I want to consider where the other person is coming from. That's not something I muster up enough strength in myself to do, yeah. and I do it through habit. Yeah, that's part of it. But part of the fruit of the Spirit is patience, that's right. right. The fruit of the Spirit is accessible at all times. Yeah. Am I asking? And so part of the prayer is, God, help me to recognize when I'm falling into these patterns as it's happening mm-hmm. and give me the wherewithal to find a way out by understanding that your Spirit is with me. Yeah. Right? And I don't always have to just come back in hindsight and go, blew it again. Right? And that ha- that certainly happens. Mm -hmm. But in the moment, is there some, you know, the way I can feel that? Does that make sense? It does make sense. Yeah. Yeah, That's good. That's, and it's tough. It's tough to do. And it's also tough to keep talking about everything that I'm going through. So how about you talk about a little bit about what you fail at? All of my failures. Yes. Yes. Okay. Yes. (laughs) No, but for real, we talked about listening the week before, and we talked about your motivations for listening, um, whether they were you know, the positive motivations of understanding people, empathizing, or kind of listening to defend yourself, listening to fix something. Yeah, Yeah. when you said that, it really struck a chord with me, listening to fix someone's problem or listening to defend myself. So I could say right away, 
my default setting is to listen to defend myself. That's pretty, uh, I can quickly want to go there. And actually just this past week, I was thinking about this as I was in conversation with someone and they were sharing with me some hurt and pain that they were in. And part of their story involved me over here and some assumptions I was feeling that they were making about me, some judgments about me. But the, the, point of them sharing with me was sharing about their heart, their, their pain that they're going in. And so all of me, all of my flesh in that moment wanted to just divert my attention and go over here to where they were misidentifying me, defend myself. And it was this Holy Spirit. It was this prayer asking God, as I was receiving this information, God, I don't want to just defend myself. I want to hear where they're coming from. I want to meet them in the space that they're at. And so what that means is in this moment, I'm not going to focus on this over here. I'm going to focus on where they're at. I'm going to listen to them well. Maybe later, as the as the Spirit leads, I'll address this at a different time. But right now, what they need from me in order to love them well is to listen to the pain that they're experiencing. Yeah, and that's part of why we do this is so that in the reaction moments... We're not just defaulting to what we always default to or what was patterned for us. And oftentimes using that as an excuse. Let's be honest. A lot of us default to these things and say, well, that's just the way I am. That's just the way I'm wired. You don't understand. I, I process out loud. I'm this, right? We have these different things we say. You know, we, we invoke uh, our family of origin. We invoke our nationality. We invoke our region. Well, you don't understand. We're from Philadelphia. You know, you know, like those are funny things, but oftentimes they can kind of mask us really wanting to identify actually what I've inherited or what I default to are some unhealthy practices. And that's not who I am. That's something I'm choosing. That's hurting my relationships. And, and, it, and it starts with this kind of self-awareness. The other piece that you said that stuck out to me was this idea of the reaction, right? That like in the moment things, those are kind of what we're talking about. But I think part of this is the proactive part too, right? Like if we value our relationships, are we being proactive in nurturing those relationships? It's really hard to do the healthy conversation, conflict, you know, exchange of ideas if there's not time to do it. So I know I sound like a broken record on this, but I don't know what your Google calendar looks like, but mine is kind of a panoply of colorful obligations. And so carving out time to say, okay, we're going to set up a date night where we're talking. We're going to prioritize family around the table, even though we only can do it a couple nights because everybody's running. We're going to just find it in our schedule to holster the weapons, put the phones down, actually look at each other, create spaces of connection. It's becoming increasingly difficult to do, but that's the proactive step that we've got to, we've got to take. That's right. That's right. And, and asking the good questions, right? So we can take time, but if that time is just time side by side, not actually asking the heart questions, the hard questions, then it's not going to be productive time. Hey, what's going on in your life? How is your heart doing? It might sound crazy. It might sound not your language. So find your language that feels comfortable but how are you doing? Not on the surface level, not the logistics of the day-to-day stuff, yeah. but how are you doing? And we can't do that in every relationship, but there's right. got to be some that we got to prioritize. That's right. Right? We've got to actually put the effort in and, and, and recognize, too, that 
for everyone, this is going to be a little bit different. Mm -hmm. That was one of the things that I think that stood out in the questions too, is that we're all in a different place with this stuff. And, and I don't mean a linear place. We all have all these different relationships that we're trying to engage with, right? And they require different things of us. And we also all have these different default settings, healthy or otherwise. And we all are, have different ways of communicating and we're wired differently. And so we need to acknowledge some of those differences as well. What, here's a question that kind of tapped into this, like, how do I do this better as an individual sort of question? It said this, how is managing messy different for extroverts and introverts? And I love this question because it's one of many different delineations that we can set up between people, right? But it acknowledges that we're not all the same Mm -hmm. and that we don't communicate the same. We don't relate the same. I know for me, my wife and I are very different people. Praise God. If there were two of me, we would have ended a long time ago. But (laughs) the, the differences we have in relating, in having a conversation, in reacting to difficult circumstances or news or anything, um, there's a marked difference in how we do it. Yeah. And so I, I have had to recognize my, like, she's not thinking the way I'm thinking. Yeah. She's had different things are of importance to her in this situation. There's, a, there's not core values, but there's some values that she has in this that I haven't considered. Mm-hmm. And that doesn't make her wrong. Right. And me right. I, you know, I... It's tough. Recognize those and those differences is a big first step, though. So you, so you recognize it, and then I guess the question is kind of going to that another level of then, well, what do you do? Right. Like, what do you do with the differences? Well, we, talk, we talked about this earlier. You recognize those differences, you become self-aware, and then you don't do anything. <laughs> That's good. Yeah, I know who I am. <laughs> Get out of my way. Um, no, I mean, okay, so in those specific situations, I think for me relating to other people and seeing that they don't think the way I think or articulate in the moment or think out loud or whatever it is that's different. I've got to realize, okay, my way isn't right. And so there's a little bit of pride that you got to put down there. Yeah. I'm thinking like, I know how to do this well, mm-hmm. and you're not as good as, at it as me. Mm-hmm. And putting that pride down and saying, okay, let me respect and honor and try to understand the other person and that they have their own process and default settings and all that stuff. Yeah. I think for me, like that has been in terms of my discipleship and like actually being formed in the image of Christ, that has been a huge thing for me where I've walked into relationship and been different from someone. And the Lord has really, it's been irritating to me, right? It irritates me because they're not functioning the same way I function. And the Lord has really shown me in those situations that every one of them, he's trying to like smooth out the rough edges. And that irritation is actually indicating something about me mm-hmm. that I need to lay down. That what I, the way that I process think isn't the only way, isn't the holy way, isn't the only way to do things. And so I need to recognize that, that others have value in that situation and allow God to kind of like with that sandpaper, like smooth out those rough edges, you know? Yeah. And that oftentimes that comes back to us thinking that we're the best, right? right? Uh, That prideful position of, well, it makes perfect logical sense to me. (laughs) I don't understand. Um, but that's really about us thinking about ourselves first. Yes. And we're told specifically not to do that. Now we also have to recognize that in relationship, we are responsible only for ourselves. Yeah. There's actually, yeah. There's a question here about responsibility. Okay. And it says, I love the tips for assumptions, expectations, team mentality, 
But how do I do all of those things in the heat of the moment when my emotions are high? That is a great, great question. Yes. What do we do? Tell what us. do we do? Um, so I, you know, last week we talked about this a little bit and this idea of having a time out and it sounds so silly and so basic, but even as we were going through the winning the war in your mind series and this idea that we're in, when we're in stress response, when we have the fight or flight situation going on, where, when our amygdala is firing, it's studies have shown that actually IQ drops about 30 points. And so if I'm entering into conflict, I don't have 30 points to give away folks. <laughs> I gotta tell you. <laughs> When I'm going into conflict and I'm attempting to articulate myself, listen well, when I'm attempting to become self-aware of my expectations and assumptions, but I've got 30 points that have just like vanished out the window, like that's not a good thing. And so we need to de-escalate. And so taking a time out where we're walking around the block, but this is not an excuse to then avoid the conflict. So we say with the person, hey, I just need about 10 minutes, 20 minutes to, to just cool down a little bit. I need to walk. We need to give permission for the other person to do that and for ourselves to do that. And I remember you said halt. Remember in one of your sermons, you said halt. Yeah, we went, and that's right, back in the Winning the War winning in Your the Mind your series, mind, yeah. that idea of if you're hungry, angry, lonely, or tired, don't make have any really difficult conversations, which takes most of the hours off the table for you. <laughs> one of those four things. Uh, but I think it, it gets to that same point, yeah. right? Of like, are you aware of what you're bringing in to the situation? Yeah. Right. Are you aware? And I think the other thing, and, and one other thing in that that we need to be aware is that the the things that are happening around us land differently and are of different import to everybody. So I can only be responsible for what I bring in the situation, but am I sensitive to where the other person is coming from? Yeah. Right? Like what's happening in their world or in our shared world that's landing with them differently. Something that's happening, you know, if I'm if I'm about to enter into conversation with my wife, I need to think about well what's happening with her in her mind, in her workplace with our relationship, in our family, in our community, in our school district, in our, in our neighborhood, in our church community, in our country, in the world, you know, all of these things. Am I, am I understanding how those things are landing with her? Yeah. And, and, and hey, what joy have, has happened in your life and like great thing are you bringing to the table? What loss has happened in your life? Yeah. And that, I stopped thinking about it because, you know, I kind of gave you a hug back when it happened, but we're all over that, right? Mm -hmm. No, well, maybe you're not, Mm -hmm. you know, it was somebody close to you. I need to be sensitive to that as I kind of step into that environment. And so I think that the halt language, that idea of the timeout, the walking away, the emotions are high. We need to kind of up our self-awareness, but also kind of our emotional awareness of the, of the whole scene, the other person as well, as for as much as we can. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and, and then that actually ties into something we've been talking about through this whole thing as well, is this idea of, of empathy, mm-hmm. right? And what does that really look like? We got a number of questions about that. This one I, I loved. It says this, uh, what does rejoicing with those who rejoice and weeping with those who weep look like, look like in real life situations? So Christian gold star for this person, because that language is right out of Romans, um, it's the book, uh, book of Romans, Paul's writing in chapter 12 to the church, and he's kind of telling them about how to live in harmony, right? He's giving them all of these things about, hey, make sure you're actually d- devoted to each other in love. You're honoring others above yourself. 
You're rejoicing when others are rejoicing. You're weeping when others are weeping. In other words, be empathetic. Do life together. Get in the pit with each other, right? And we, when we talked about this a few weeks back, we were talking about, we, we were pointing out that Brene Brown um, lecture on empathy and how it's different from sympathy. And she goes on to say in that one thing we didn't get to is this idea that if, if, if you're trying to kind of be with someone in their hurt and your phrases start with at least, you're not being empathetic, right? Like, because a lot of times we do this. We try to silver line people's situations. And that, that kind of just is this sympathy. It's holding it at arm's length. And it's still about us then. It's still about us fixing it. Well, at least you can still have kids. At least you had them for as long as you did. At least, you know, whatever the situation is. And the other person's going, what? No, no. And why do we do that? Why do we jump in and do that? Why? And again, not a new idea. Paul wrote it down because it's uncomfortable. Yeah. It's uncomfortable to just sit there, especially if you see a way out, mm-hmm. especially if you see a solution, mm-hmm. you want to point something out, but that's not empathy. It's uncomfortable. Right. Yeah, there was, um, we asked a question in our community group this past week about um, when you, if someone were to come up here and read something like a psalm at church, how would you feel? And so, you know, the, the question was referencing psalm, I mean, there's a bunch of, I mean, all the psalms, just incredible language, but referencing Psalm 22 and, and the language is like, oh Lord, why have you forsaken me? I'm at the pit where, you know, at the, the last line is like, my heart is turned to wax. It's melted within me. I mean, it's just like incredibly like emotional language. And as we were, we kind of thought about this and the, the through line in our group was like, that would be really uncomfortable. Like if I was sitting in church, somebody came up and said that kind of language, it would make me feel very uncomfortable. I want to fix it. I want to go up and find some solutions for them. It's hard to sit with people in that kind of emotion. Yeah. And it's, it's a, it's a difficult practice, especially if you see a bigger picture, right? That person can't see the bigger picture with whatever it is that they're in. And you want to point it out and you want to point the way. And there's a place for that, but that's not leading with empathy. And I, I think about the example of Jesus. And one of my favorite scripture verses is uh, Jesus wept, not just because it was easy for me to memorize, but it, it's, it, 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 it's the story of Lazarus, right? And Lazarus dies and he's, this is Jesus's friend and his friends are upset and he goes and he could fix it, right? He knows the way out. He sees the solution. In fact, spoiler alert, keep reading. Like, I don't know what you know happens to Lazarus, but like, you know, it gets fixed. Things get better. But he doesn't come in with a cape on and go, hey guys, at, at least I'm here now. <laughs> you know? Like he doesn't jump into the situation to fix it, to save it. To, and he had more right to do that in that situation than anyone ever. And what does he choose? Jesus wept. He got down there and just was, felt the hurt and the loss and the pain of the moment and sat in the uncomfortableness. And whew, that is hard to do, especially when you can see the end. Mm-hmm. Yeah. You know, I, I, I don't know. I don't know if you've had an um, opportunity to practice that kind of empathy um, or whether we're, we're blind to it. I think sometimes we have the opportunity, but we don't actually do it. But it kind of leads me to another question about empathy. And we got a few questions on this line. Like, 
is it possible to, to like over empathize? Or is it possible to get, to get stuck in the pit with somebody to just kind of be like, Oh, you know, this is so terrible for you. And Oh, now I feel terrible too. And so we're just, ugh. I love that posture. That's my, your pit posture. My, my, oh, this, <laughs> yeah, we're in the pit. <laughs> yeah. You're welcome for that's that. That's good. Yeah. Yes. Um, so that's kind of, I think these questions were hinting at this idea of boundaries. Um, so, you know, culture talks a lot about boundaries, Um, and for me personally, I think boundaries has been something I've had to learn, uh, over time. My tendency is to not have healthy boundaries is to kind of allow another person's yuck to, I'll just take on the yuck and I'll just sit there in the pit and I'll do the Jameson kind Mm -hmm. of posture, Mm -hmm. sit in the pit with them, but it'll go nowhere. And it, uh, it, it totally takes me out. It just takes me out completely. So over time, just learning and, and pressing into what does it mean to have healthy boundaries? And I think there's a piece of when we're burden bearers, when we tend to take on the burdens of others and we don't actually bring it to our creator. We don't, we sit with it, but we don't actually bring it to our creator. We then are totally demobilized. Like we can't actually function in that way. Mm. And at that point, it's not healthy. There's just complete blend between who you are and who I am. And part of what health boundaries does as it says there is an end to me and a beginning to you and the source of us both is our creator and so there's no there's nothing I can do I cannot be your holy spirit I cannot be your creator I cannot fix this problem I can sit here with you in it but what we have to do then is we have to bring it to our creator who can actually do something about it who can actually minister to us in those places and so for me healthy boundaries has been incredibly powerful it's something I've had to really lean into as being someone who's wired for empathy wired to sit with people in the pit yeah and I think that the that that as I observe us, right, we, we can be that person who kind of, ooh, we tend to fall towards this part of boundaries and not health. But can't that pendulum swing all the way the other direction? Oh, yeah. And we go, well, I need healthy boundaries. And we put up boundaries everywhere. Oh, yes. And that is very much like society. It's like the overused term of toxic. Like, oh, that person's so toxic. I can't be <laughs> we with love, them. We I love, love labeling people. It's as love. Toxic. So great to label people. Oh, They're so toxic. Gosh. And so what we do is then we put up we we put up these high walls of boundaries. But all it is really is an excuse for us not to have a hard conversation. And so we don't want to do the difficult work of walking through the conflict and, and doing the hard work. We have not ever said anything to them. We haven't been clear about our expectations, our assumptions. We haven't done any of these steps we've talked about. We've just labeled them as toxic and we've put up the boundaries. And that is not good for them. It's not good for us. It's not actually something because ultimately God can grow us in tremendous ways through conflict. And what that does is it just kind of it just short circuits the process and no longer are we being formed. We're just avoiding completely. I wonder how many of the disciples would have been labeled as toxic people. All of them. <laughs> like, oh, Every Peter, single one Peter's of those disciples. So angry. He's yeah. got all these angry issues. He's so toxic. I got to just keep him out of my yeah, life. Seriously. Most of you guys are toxic to me. I mean, just your emails and your questions. and oh. <laughs> I wonder actually how many people have labeled me as toxic. Oh, yeah. I'm but, sure it's happened. <laughs> okay. Moving on. <laughs> Yeah, you're, I think all y'all are toxic. We're toxic. Yeah, exactly. Disciples are toxic. People are yes. That's that's the point right. though. That we if we use these, we can let, we can use these tools that started in a good place. Like healthy boundaries is a good thing. Yes. But we can say we're using healthy boundaries really just to avoid. Yeah. And I think that's an that's an important thing through yep. this. That's yep. cool. 
The, the idea of there's two people here, mm-hmm. right? So we've been t- joking about that a little bit, two toxic people, but two people entering into a relationship. This all looks fine and good, right? All this healthy relationship stuff, and what am I bringing to the table, and am I listening to understand the person and empathize and fight clean? It's all great until the other person gets involved, yeah. right? And you're like, well, that other person doesn't seem as concerned with doing this the way that I'm concerned with doing yeah, it. Yeah. We got a number of questions yes. about the fact that this is a two-way street in this thing. Right. right? So a few of the questions are, um, how can you repair a relationship with family members when they don't see what they did wrong or they don't want to repair the relationship? I was wondering how to handle a relationship in which the other person always says and believes that it is my fault when there is a disagreement. And when you are trying to listen and then speak healthy words, how do you keep the conversation going when the other person does not listen to you? Mm. I think the best thing to do would be take the last three weeks of sermons and send it to that person. Yeah. Yep. For you. For you. This was, I thought of you. Isn't that the best? Oh, that's the best. I I thought of somebody when I heard that sermon. Yeah, yeah. Wow, that was good truth for them. Um, (laughs) And no elbows. Stop throwing elbows, at yeah, everybody. Yeah. <laughs> it, it, it's tough because it's tough to, to kind of address these questions head on because it makes me, and, and this is not great. No, you're not going to love this, but it makes me kind of go back to the beginning mm-hmm. and this idea of self-awareness and say, okay, in the question, am I understanding that your heart is, I've done all the healthy stuff. Or are you already a combatant walking into this relationship ready for battle or assuming and boxing that other person in, knowing exactly how they're going to respond because you know them. I've been with, we've done this for 20 years, you know, whatever it is. You're already setting yourself in opposition to the other person. When I read language like, how do you do this when the other person always says this, always believes, they never see what they did wrong, they, they do not listen. When you, when you assume that's going to happen, and maybe you have good reason to assume it, you have right. good evidence, but are you actually stepping in with the health that we've been discussing and looking yeah. at that Scripture is, has kind of taught us for the last mm-hmm. few weeks? Are you already setting up this defeatist, oppositional sort of thing. And that's, that goes back to self-awareness. Have I actually done the work or not? Right. And then, and then, and then there are some situations where the other person is unhealthy, right? Where they are not interested and it's in an unhealthy situation. And so um, we talked about last week about what it means to get mediation or counsel. Um, and I think not often do we do this. We'd rather just shut the door on a relationship and label that person as toxic and put up the boundaries. And um, again, we short circuit that process. But counsel is going to someone who has wisdom, going to someone who is not just seeking my good, but seeking the good of the relationship and asking for wisdom, asking for them to speak into that. This is not a gossip thing. This is more of like, man, I, I want to do well in this. Help me do well. Mediation, you're bringing someone else in. I mentioned last week I had a, uh, there was a friendship I was in, and um, she asked if we could bring someone in. And I immediately was like super defensive. I don't want to, I'm really defensive about this. I don't want to do, um, I don't want to do that. But then, but then I recognized the the level to which she's seeing our relationship, the, the, she wants the unity. And so she's investing in that relationship and she's asking for mediation because she really desires unity. And so we have to ask ourselves, this is 
We're responsible for ourselves, right? So we ask ourselves the question, have we gone to them in love? Have we, have we, are we doing this to seek to understand the other person? Have we walked through all these processes? Have we actually sought counsel or mediation? Um, and then at some point we recognize that we are not the other person's Holy Spirit. That, uh, that was wisdom given to me in a relationship. I was just trying desperately to like kind of put together. And at some point we, we are not their Holy Spirit, right? They have to be convicted. They have to be changed and molded just like we do. And so we pray, we pray hard because God is a God of miracles and he can do miraculous things in relationships. I believe that. And so we don't give up. We keep praying. We set the boundaries where we need to. Um, but we, we recognize that we can't change someone else. That's not our job to do. Yeah. And there's a difference between those healthy boundaries and being hardened to that person and hardened to God will, will never do this. But are we first honest with ourselves that we've done everything we can do? And it's, it's to use a word, messy. Very messy. It is. It's yeah. difficult. Mm-hmm. One of the other messy things, and kind of as we kind of look at the, la- the last part of this, one of the other things that came through in the questions that's messy is about thinking about kind of the, what topics do we discuss with each other, depending on what relationship we're in. Here, here's a question that summarized that pretty well. Let's say you have a healthy relationship with a friend. It's a loving and respectful relationship, but... Let's say there are particular topics, maybe politics, maybe faith, etc., that you know from experience drive a wedge into the relationship. Is it appropriate to avoid those conversational topics and stick to conversational topics where negative reactions are not expected? It's a great question. Tell us. What should we do? <laughs> we should always talk about faith and politics at Thanksgiving. That's right. Yes. Yeah. I think it's a really telling, this person said, in a healthy relationship, right? So, you know, just a healthy relationship is one that's respectful. It's one that's loving and kind. Healthy relationship is one that actually seeks the good of the other person. So if there's a healthy relationship that you are in, and you know how you have differing opinions on certain topics, do you avoid that, uh, those topics completely? And I would say no. Actually, as a society, we need more practice at doing just that, entering into conversation around topics that are, that are difficult with people that we love. And again, we're not going into those topics or those conversations with a, a desire to convince them. We're going into the conversation with a desire to understand. That's a seeking to understand. Hey, I know you hold a different opinion on whatever it is. Can you help me understand how you arrived at that conclusion? Can you help me understand like how you actually, you know, how you see this? And so I I think we need to do more of that. There needs to be more of that happening so that we can get better at it and we cannot make the other person the enemy. We recognize we're on the same team, that people we love dearly, Mm. they hold different opinions than us. And that is okay. Yeah. Same team is a huge thing, right? That it changes my posture as I enter this conversation with you. And I love what you're saying about the, the context of the relationship. This questioner said, healthy, loving, respectful, yeah. right? If we have that scenario, then we understand that concept. I understand we're on the same team. Then my motivation doesn't have to be convincing you or persuading you. And an understanding the other person is a, is a great thing, right? That's a positive, a real big positive I think some of this is about the topics as well, right? The importance of the topic. So there were, there were two things referenced in this question, and one of them um, is, a, is a blanket we put over a lot of topics, the word politics, right? That word covers 
a whole host of things. It covers so many things. And, and the whole goal of kind of using that big blanket term and getting people to kind of encamp themselves in certain places is to raise the level of, um, of, of charge on those topics, right? To get us charged up about stuff, to make it more and more and more important, ratchet it up. Pick your 24-hour news channel of choice. The goal is to say, hey, here are the important things. Be outraged, right? Be, have this importance of this. Keep going up and up and up. And it's not that those things aren't important. I mean, think of those things that are under that kind of blanket term politics. All this COVID response stuff and healthcare uh, stances, immigration, education, jobs, the economy, foreign policy, you know, taxes, climate change, all these things, anything you want fits neatly under that blanket because it's so big. But the, uh, the goal is to make it increasingly, increasingly, increasingly important to the point where it becomes so inculcated into your identity that it, to have a conversation with somebody who disagrees, it feels like a personal attack. Right. Because it's so much a part of my identity now. Yeah. And I would postulate even maybe in an unhealthy way yeah. that I can't have a conversation that's curious with you. Mm-hmm. I can't seek to understand because all I see is that you are opposed to me. Yeah. Right? And that because... Because all of my inputs and everything I have gotten have said not only these things are so important, but they're so built into who I am Mm -hmm. that I can't possibly ever even desire to see it your way or to understand. Yeah, that's good. The other part that this person talks about is faith. Right. Now, I think we have the same posture, right, when we go into those conversations, the same posture of, of, of seeking to understand whether whatever it is about, but um, whatever the topic is, we're seeking to understand. But our faith is our identity. Right. Actually, when we call ourselves disciples of Jesus, that is our very core identity. We are a new creation in him. We have the indwelling of the Holy Spirit. Like, that is who we are. It shouldn't be just something we believe. Right. It's not one of the topics du jour. Right, right. It is, it is the topic, right? right? Right. How do we have conversations with people who hold different opinions? Well, it's the same exact way, Right. We recognize people are on a journey. We recognize um, that we are seeking to understand where they're coming from first and foremost. And we do never, we never go into those conversations trying to give, convince or trying to bash someone over with the head with it, right? We're, we're just, we're just allowing ourselves to be exactly who God has created us to be. So we're open and honest, but never to the point where we're demeaning to the other person. Right. And I think this person was talking about a friendship that they're in. And so if we're in friendships that are healthy, and this is, this should be something that comes up, right? Because this is who we are. This is how we live our life. It's how we see the world. Like all of this is filtered through, uh, through our discipleship to Jesus. Now, I think there becomes difficulty, you know, about around when we kind of mix these two together, oh, right? sure. Well, I mean, I think a lot of these difficult conversations happen because faith is so important to so many of us. It has become the core identity. And because of that, it, it informs a lot of our opinions and decisions on other things. And so we kind of conflate the two. Right. And then I look over at you and I go, well, your faith, which has the same key principles as my faith, is informing your opinions and decisions on this. But your opinions and decisions on this are completely different than mine. 
Right. How is that possible when we're both coming from this same faith thing? One of us clearly is wrong. Right. Right? Because, because the, our convictions on these things have become as important as our faith. Right. Because we can't see that our faith would possibly lead us to a different conclusion. Mm-hmm. But can we understand and ratchet certain things, certain core pieces and identity and try to separate those out? That's my prayer right now. Yes. Right? Is that in society, in my own home, and with my own, in my own soul, mm-hmm. that I can kind of try to extricate these two things from one another in a healthy way. Not belittling the importance of the things going on in the world. They're important. Right. Not burying my head in the sand. And I said to somebody after the first service, what I want to do is la, 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 la. Yeah. You know? But recognizing that like this core faith identity piece is the piece where we need to seek harmony and seek togetherness and seek to understand. We shouldn't be spinning our wheels, especially with other people who share our same faith convictions about what those faith convictions should then lead us to do because then we're not actually doing anything. We're just fighting about what we should or shouldn't do. Right. And nobody's doing anything. Yeah. Right? And so that, that to me is not the kingdom of God winning. That's right. right. So, but I think you bring up a really good point to understand. It's not, hey, nothing's important and you do you and me do me. No, no, no. Identity in Christ is part of who we are. Yeah. Are we coming as combatants? Yeah. Are we coming to castigate the people who don't agree with us? Right. Are we coming to try and understand? They'll know we are Christians by our love. Right. Mm-hmm. Like, whew, that's tough. God give us the... Some wisdom in That's some right. of this. Yeah, God does not need us to defend him, right? He, ne- <laughs> You're right, I guess. he needs us yes. to invite people. That's right. If, if our posture towards others is an invitation, okay, come and see, yeah. which is what Jesus modeled all the time. Come and see. Come and see how great this kingdom is. And less of a defense, you know, of an almighty God who can handle things on his own just fine. He's holy and righteous and other and so, you know, so often we treat it like we have to defend him, but we don't have yeah. to defend him. Yeah. We have to invite people to come and see the God that we believe in, the God that we have devoted our lives to, the God that we love and have experienced his love and his grace. Yeah. So, yeah, an invitation. It can get messy. It, it can, can get, get messy. It can get messy. It certainly can get and messy. And so we pray for that, for the wisdom yeah. to how to enter those things. All right, one more funny one. I got to share this one because I thought this was a great and terrible question. Why <laughs> doesn't my spouse believe that I'm sorry you feel that way counts as an apology. I'll be making a phone call to this person this week to clear that up yeah, because that's, right. that's a terrible Just question. Just don't do that. <laughs> right. Don't do that one. Yes. Right. Oh, when I was a teacher, people said, there are no bad questions. Like, yes, there are. There are. <laughs> there are. It's a bad. So, you know, I, I hope that this has been helpful. We really wanted to go into this with a, a heart to desire to love one another better. But ultimately, we have to recognize that we are going to disappoint people and people are going to disappoint us. That there's not a relationship that we're in that we're not going to disappoint someone. Yeah. And I think that's why it's so important for us to put our ultimate relational capital at the feet of Jesus. Mm. Because we are, we are given life through our relationship with our creator. And so often we're trying to look for things in other people that they just can't give us. They aren't equipped to give us. They are finite humans. Only our creator can give us. And so many of our expectations come from this misplaced love, misplaced um, affection towards the wrong place. And so 
My prayer is that that today, as we walk from this place, that we're looking first to our creator. We're looking first to our creator to give us what only he can give us. And then out of that, we're able to love one another well. We're able to be equipped with some of these things we talked about because we are first going to him for what only he can give us. That's right. We wanted to give you a few uh, last minute things. Do you have something? Parting shots. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. Yes, yes, yes. So these are, these are things, um, that, you know, are, are, are colloquial. We talk about them around the office. These are things that are really important here. Uh, they're borrowed from other places, but, um, have come part of our conversational language. And so the first one is this, it is important in our relationships to keep short accounts that we don't have, you know, these laundry list of things that have been bothering us with the other person from like five years ago, three years ago, one year ago, a week ago, that if the day after we have some sort of interaction and it is still with us, it's still bothering us, then we take the initiative and we become peacemakers and we go to that person and we talk about it. And so we need to keep short accounts. Yeah, we don't let stuff build up. Take out the trash. Take out the trash is another thing we say, taking out the trash. And then actually let the trash man take it instead of taking it and kind of sitting on it so you can always bring it back up. That's right. Oh, I've just been sitting on this stinky banana peel for three years (laughs) when you offended me. Um, Here's another one. I love this one. Believe the best. When there's a gap between what you expect out of a situation and what you experience in a situation, you fill that gap by either assuming the worst of the person or believing the best of the person. When I first heard that, I was like, oh, that is good because I expected you to be home on time. I experienced that you were late. So I get to fill that gap by either assuming the worst, you don't care about me, or believing the best, something came up and you didn't have a chance to text. Right? That's a small example, but that is up to you. That is up to me. That is up to us. When there's a gap between what we experience and what we expect, what do we choose? Assuming the worst of people or believing the best. That's good. And the last one is this. We consider our impact over intent. So we often have very, um, we don't have malicious intent in a situation. But someone comes to us and they say, you know, your words impacted me this way. This interaction impacted me this way. And so we can easily in that situation, well, that wasn't my intent. I didn't mean to do that. But we're immediately negating where they're coming from. And so we, we take ownership for the way that we have impacted people. And we have conversation around impact over intent. So that's another one we talk about around the office. So this has been good, guys. I'd love to pray for us. Please do. Yes. Would you guys stand with me as we pray? God, we are thankful that you are a relational God. We are thankful, Lord, that we can come to you with our needs. We can come to you with our concerns. We can come to you with our confusion, God. And we pray, Father, as we're, as we're navigating relationships, navigating sometimes messy relationships, Lord, that we ask for wisdom. We ask for discernment, Lord. God, we ask for your eyes to see the other as not the other, but someone on the same team, God. Lord, help us to ask good questions. Help us to be people, Lord, that model ourselves after not what the world shows us to be love, but after what you show us to be love, God. May we be people who are seeking to be be love embodied as you have showed us so beautifully, Jesus. God, we thank you for your grace and your mercies that are new every morning, God. We thank you, Lord, that you fill in the gaps, Lord, where we fall short, God, that you, that you pour over grace upon us and you say, hey, get up and do it again. It's going to be better next time. Get up, do it again. Love well. 
God, we commit our relationships to you. We commit, commit our very selves to you, Lord. We thank you for who you are. We pray this in the precious name of Jesus. Amen.